silver may be changing its role from a monetary metal to something else. And we'll be talking about what that is with Lobo Tigre of the Independent Speculator. Lobo, welcome back. You have a very interesting report that you recently released on your website. Two of the key findings that I want to start off by sharing with the audience. The first is that uh, while gold and silver have historically held a very tight correlation, you've calculated that since 1975, the correlation is 89%. And over the ten, last 10 years, it's 0.75. But that has changed this year. In the last year, it's only at 1.1959 is what you calculated. So 20% correlation Zero. in the last two years. Yeah, exactly. And furthermore, you said in your article that you expect this this relationship, this new relationship to hold in the sense that silver will no longer track gold as closely in the future. It'll track copper more. So tell us about your findings. All right. So, boy, we're going to dive right into the controversy here. And I want to start first by just saying I'm not couching or backtracking, but I am a silver bull. I'm a silver bug. I literally own more silver right now than I ever have before in my life. My, my stacks are bigger than ever, uh, and I expect higher silver prices. I have said, and people have said I'm crazy, that I, the silver spike to come could take silver to triple digits. I think that's still possible for reasons that you and I have discussed before. So please don't hate me. I'm not anti-silver. Or if you hate me, find a good reason to hate me for being wrong. So let me say what I'm saying. First, first off, a lot of people have noticed this. You look on a daily basis and you'll see gold's up, silver's down, or silver's up, gold's down. The, they, the relationship seems to have broken down. What's up with that? So I decided to look at it. And as you said, we look at the numbers and the long-term relationship is exactly what you'd expect. The two monetary metals march in lockstep. But recently that has broke down. And for the relationship to go from 0.75 or close to 0.9 over the decades to 0.2, just under 0.2, that's almost no relationship at all, David. Uh, for that to happen over the last year is really a striking change. I mean, that's not just me being a bear or something. That's the data. What does that tell us? Something is different in the marketplace. Uh, the something could be manipulation. Right. We don't need to go too far down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, but I don't think so, because why this year? People have been talking about manipulation for years and years and years. That's, so why this year? Something I mean, else has changed. It's not opinion. necessarily a bearish story you're telling. It's, you're just saying the, the two variables have not been correlated this year. Okay. And, that, and it matters. That's correct. I'm not right. predicting lower silver prices. I'm just saying that the data is telling us that right. silver is divorcing itself from gold. And to some degree, that could be a good thing in the sense that if you're bullish on copper as part of the electrification story, for example, over decades to come, which I am, and silver starts behaving more like an industrial metal, like copper, and it's used in that same electrification story, well, you know what? Silver could have a much longer and more sustained rally than gold. If gold spikes on near-term uh, fiscal and monetary shenanigans, and then that blows over, it really falls on the sort of broader uh, commodity-slash-industrial outlook for metals prices to go higher. And that right. would favor silver much more than gold. So yes, I'm not being bearish. I am saying to look at the data and the... I'll let you ask a question if you want, but the, but the sort of the punchline here, uh -huh. the, the real significance here is if people are seeing silver more as an industrial metal. And before it was just like the banks. The banks stopped hoarding silver a long time ago. Once it became obvious that it wasn't going to go back into circulation as coinage, governments started dishoarding silver. In the 90s, that was part of the story for why silver prices were so low. 
And now we've got Basel III, we've got banks deciding that gold is a tier one asset, but not silver. And, and we have more anecdotal stories like the flash crash of a couple weeks ago. Gold got whacked, came screaming back right away, but not silver. So we see silver behaving differently on a day-to-day -day basis, behaving differently on a month-to-month -month basis, and over the last year, the correlation has broken down. So I, I think this is important, David. Uh, I, okay, let, let, well, let's talk about the critical question as to why. Why has this relationship broken down? I would say why now would be my way of dialing in on that. And I, I cannot honestly tell you that I have the answer. Like maybe it's just one of those things where an idea whose time has come, or maybe it's the implementation of Basel III without silver. I can't tell you exactly why, but actually for years now, people have been saying, mainstream media folks have been, to the degree that they would cover gold, they would dismiss silver as an industrial metal. And even in the industry, a lot of industry people are, have over previous years said, wow, silver is more of an industrial metal now. And I resisted that. I'm pretty sure if we go back to some of our previous interviews, we might find a, a clip of me saying, silver is a monetary metal still. You know, whatever these other people say, silver is still a monetary metal. But that does seem to be changing now. Now, now why? I don't know, David, but it's happening. I'm seeing it in the data. And so I'm saying that I've changed my view. I'm not, I'm not wanting to quote Powell here, but I'm being data responsive as opposed to dependent. I'm looking at the facts. And before, when people would say this, oh, silver is just an industrial metal, I say, no, look at the daily fluctuations. They might, gold might go up more than silver or less, you know, but they would both go up the same day or they both yeah. go down the same day. That's not happening now or it's happening much less. That's a significant change. Honest answer is, David, I don't know, but it's happening, and I'm trying to react accordingly as a speculator and investor. Well, we'll show charts of both silver and copper. You'll notice that over the last, well, since early 2020, they've both climbed up relatively around the same time. Um, well, one could argue that was due to the pandemic. Everything climbed up <laughs> during those months. but. You, you do see that both uh, both metals have stabilized in terms of the prices uh, since the uh, later part of last year. So yeah, yeah you could but, you could make you but, could make the argument that silver is tracking copper and other base metals more closely now. I'm saying we're seeing that shift happening. I think this develops over time, and still, you know, the reality is that many people all around the world still regard silver as money. Silver is the word for money in many languages. So I'm not saying that silver is is done as a monetary metal and it's never coming back. I'm saying that the data shows as a shifting relationship and I expect, expect that to play out and increase over time. So I, I would not say that over the next year that silver will track copper more closely than gold. I would say over the coming years, it will track copper more and more closely. Mm -hmm. Unless I'm wrong, unless this change reverses itself in some way. I am outside, so. Um, All right, well, you did write in your report that I see evidence that silver's dual nature as a monetary and industrial metal is changing for the reasons you've just highlighted. And then you wrote something interesting. You said, even if global finance adopts a new gold standard in the future, silver may never go back into circulation as money. Well, okay. I mean, it hasn't right, been so really in circulation as money for a while now, though, but sure, let's talk about it. Sure. And the reason for that, I mean, that's sort of the, the real punchline here, David, is I'm projecting based on the change in the data, a trend over time of silver becoming more and more 
priced in the marketplace as an industrial yeah. metal. But what happens in the future if the world goes back on a gold standard? The last time, at least in the U.S., we had you know, a real gold standard, it was bimetallic. It was gold and silver. What I'm saying is there's good reason to think that that may not happen the next time. And the reason for that is that historically, why, why was silver used as well as gold or even copper bits as well? Because the value in gold is so much, so concentrated that it was actually inconvenient to pay for small things with gold. You could, it's malleable, you can make little bits of it, but after a while it gets pretty inconvenient to use little teeny bits of gold that can be easily lost. Sure. Um, so you use silver to make change. And you used copper to make change for silver, right? Pennies, dimes, nickels, that's how it was. But in today's world, we have solved that problem beautifully with the blockchain slash distributed ledger technology. And the, there are dozens right now of gold-backed cryptos that are going out there. We'll see how they do, and we'll see what the government response to that is. But if at some future point, let's just stipulate, at some future point, the world gets tired of all this paper money, fiat money, the thing blows up and the world realizes it needs to base money on something real, okay? Just let's go with that. If that okay. happens in a world where we can say, here's a vault, and we can infinitely divide the contents of that vault and distribute it electronically, that gets rid of you know, needing to hire an army, a Brinks army of trucks to transport your gold anywhere to make a large payment, and it gets rid of the problem of needing something else to make very small transactions. You can use, you know, mil, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of a gram of gold to make a payment. If you can do that instantly, almost for free, on the internet, what do you need silver for to make change? You don't. So I can see a future in which the world does go back on a gold standard or reality-based standard, and that silver ends up not going back to its historic norm there. And, and let me just say real quick before people get upset at me, because no, silver is real money, it's God's money. I understand that silver is real, it's valuable, and it could well, be used to back money. Yeah. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be anymore, and it would be more convenient for the world to go to a, a one standard, a gold standard, would simplify pricing, transactions, everything. I'm just, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to follow your logic here, because what you're, you're saying that uh, in the past, when, when there was a gold standard, people still used silver as money, uh, because it was it was it was it was lesser in value than than gold, so it was easier to divide. It was easier to pay for smaller transactions with. I mean, if we're if we're going into a blockchain ledger where gold can be divided uh, infinitely, uh, presumably that could be used. That 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 technology could be applied to any metal. Right? You you could use yes, that. Yes, could. You could use that for yes. silver. But but why would you? you? There's no need to if you can do it with gold. And as you're far right. as the banks go, right. you've got bullion yeah. vaults there. Silver tarnishes. It's bulkier. It's, you need more of it to have the same value as gold. So it's less convenient to use to back something. And then the other thing is that, you know, okay, when, let me, when we had... I'll let you finish, yeah. Almost, that's quick. When we had the penny was worth X amount of a dollar, you had silver coins worth X amount of a dollar. The ratio between those was set by the government. Now the prices are free to fluctuate. So if you're a supermarket and you're selling Twinkies, or 0.0001 grams of gold, but somebody wants to pay with silver, well, the ratio between gold and silver is not set. So you need to actually have a price there. You know, we're selling it for this many grams of gold, this many grams of silver, this many micrograms of copper. Right. But you'd have to have different prices and they'd have to adjust all the time. It actually, it becomes, I think there's a market incentive for the market to work its way towards a single standard that is easily measurable, universally accepted and convenient. And I think that ends up being gold. Well, let me ask you this. Maybe it's more philosophical. If you had to, 
if, if we do go back to some sort of standard, whether it be gold or a, whatever standard, right? Why would gold be considered a more sure form of money than silver? If you had to pick okay. between one thing being no, used as a monetary metal, why, why, why gold and why not silver? Is it because silver has an industrial property as well? No, actually, that would, that would tend to support your question. Yeah. If silver has more visible uses in the world as an industrial metal, then you could say, you could make a case that objectively silver having all these more uses is better than gold as a backer for money. I, I can see that. I think that the other um, problems with silver, the, the bulkiness, the tarnishing, the, the it's less convenient in other ways. I also think that the, just making that transition, it might be that in the future, David, the world does go in that way. But I don't think the world will discover, oh my gosh, all these fiat currencies have have caused this disaster. We need to go something real and would immediately jump into silver. The banks, the central banks already have gold hoards, right? They don't have silver hoards. It would be easier for them to make a transition to backing their currencies with gold because they have it. Mm -hmm. And so at least initially, I think you start with gold and people think of it that way as gold. It's already a financial asset. I, I just see the transition is easier. And then does it become self-sustaining? Does it stay that way? Does silver creep in as the more useful metal? I don't know. Uh -huh. It could be that uh, just gold's usefulness as money is part of what becomes self-perpetuating. But don't okay. forget that gold does actually have uses in industry. It, it actually is used in jewelry. It's used in sure. electronics. Yeah. It's used in high-tech applications for which there for is sure. no substitute. And it is more rare in the Earth's crust than silver. So there is a real value case for gold. It's not just a pet rock, no matter how many famous billionaires say so. That's true. I mean, they're, they're, we can't forget that there are some industrial applications for gold as well, but uh, maybe not in the same scale as other, other metals like copper and silver. Uh, on that segue, I want to talk about Palantir. The tech company recently bought $50 million worth of gold bullion, not ETFs, not paper, uh, not uh, futures, but gold bullion uh, to uh, add to their treasury. Um, you know, my question is, do, if you were an investor of Palantir, would you want them to do, would you, what, what would your response be? Would you walk into the general shareholders meeting and say, I support your decision? Because ultimately you as an investor, you could diversify into gold yourself. You don't need a stock that you're holding to do that for you, right? That's correct. But it's a trick question because of course I would, but everybody would say, well, of course you would, you're a gold bug. If I was a <laughs> non-gold bug, you know, would I still support Palantir's action? And I would hope that I would be rational enough to say yes, because unlike Michael Saylor risking his, you know, the large chunk of his company's cash treasury on something as volatile as Bitcoin, Palantir risked a very small amount. It's a, it's a modest and I think reasonable amount to put in a precautionary safe haven asset in case things go wonky. I think this is actually quite important. We'll see if this becomes a pebble that starts an avalanche. It's too early to say, oh, yes, this is the Michael Saylor moment, and everybody's going to pile into gold now because Peter Thiel and Palantir did so. We don't know that's going to happen. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But I think it's very significant. I think it's, I think it's a good thing that they did it in such a responsible, measured way. I, I, I think it'd be very hard to make a case that they did something crazy here.
What do you mean by when things go wonky? Are you saying they're holding it as some sort of insurance hedge against against what? Why do you think they're doing this is the broader question. Well, we could we spin science fiction yarns here, David, about what it might mean. Remember, these guys work for a lot of the intelligence agencies. They'd be interesting to know, be a fly in the wall in that office and see what do they know that we don't know. Maybe the but CFO a, just likes gold. Maybe he says, well, you know, I think gold's going to go up. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? It could be as and simple as that. Like I said, yeah. we don't have to tell ourselves science fiction stories about what this might mean, but I, I think it's enough that a company moving in a responsible, reasonable way chose to hedge itself against future uncertainty. And the reality is, you know, never mind what the CIA knows or whatever, we all know that the global financial system is in uncharted waters. Even Powell and other central bankers say we're in uncharted waters, and somehow they think they know how to navigate these uncharted waters. But if even those guys, amongst the powers that be, admit it, I don't think it's unreasonable at all for any CFO of a large company to say, you know what, a little bit of safe haven, a modest amount of safe haven that hardens our balance sheet. It, it, it doesn't just strengthen, it hardens it against real black swan events. I think that's a reasonable and prudent thing to do. It, it just strikes me that, you know... Uh, $50 million is not a lot of money for them. They have they have revenues of over a billion dollars. I'm just Googling this right now. $1.1 billion was their top line revenue in 2020. Let's assume that the dollar is going to depreciate significantly over the next five to 10 years. And let's assume also that they realize this, and which is why they're doing this. Well, $50 million, $50 million on $1.1 billion is really nothing. All that cash they're making on the revenues are still going to be denominating in U.S. dollars. They're still going to have to convert all of that into some sort of hard asset like gold in order to protect their 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 top line from being devalued away. And the same goes for any company operating in the US. If you're assuming that the dollar is going to depreciate, well, technically all your holdings need to be converted, right? It's not just well less than one percent. No, no. You no. buy insurance and you hope never to use it. And you, most people don't want all of their net worth in an insurance policy. So okay see it as insurance and, and reasonable insurance. But here, actually, this ties into something interesting. I'm sure you've discussed with Rick Rule before his notion that historically, over the last whatever decades, the average allocation, safe haven allocation to gold in investment portfolios globally has been about 2%. And that currently the allocation to gold is about 0.5%. So even if nothing crazy happened, even if the world didn't adopt the gold standard, if investors around the world just went back to the historic mean that would quadruple the investment demand for gold. And I've heard Rick say this for many years, and I thought, well, yeah, but why would that happen? And absent some gigantic catastrophe that shakes people's confidence in fiat money and the, and the financial system as it is, I, I don't see it happen. But this Palantir thing is saying people are starting to think about it. And you know what? Maybe we don't have to have a big crash to make people nervous and, and allocate more to gold. Maybe if more responsible people like Palantir's CFO start thinking, you know what, a little bit of hedge, you know, let's go to that historic mean of 2%. Let's go 2% to harden our balance sheet. That would make a gigantic difference to the gold market around the world. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, wouldn't it, let's, let's assume every single company, the S&P 500, makes a 2% <laughs> allocation. What's going to happen to the gold price? Just 2%. Uh, I haven't done the math on that, but obviously it goes up. It's a multiple. Okay. It's, it's a right. multiple. It's not just a marginal increase. I see. All right. Finally, let's talk about uh, your views in the stock markets, and we'll end it there. You wrote also in your, on your website 
Uh, Tina, uh, the, there is no alternative, is another word for FOMO. <laughs> All these acronyms that people are throwing around. So, so you, don't, you don't buy that there is no alternative to stocks right now. Correct. I th I'm glad that you brought that up because I think this is actually, it's an irresponsible thing. A lot of the talking heads on financial media, not Kitco News, of course, are talking about this. Tina, Tina, Tina. I hear it every day, all the time. Tina, Tina, there is no alternative. And what's happening is if you've got your sort of mainstream Wall Street blinders on and you see, you know, the traditional 60-40 is not working anymore. 60, what is 60-40? Well, it's stocks and bonds. If your whole universe is stocks and bonds and bonds aren't working, then there is no alternative, Tina, to stocks. So that means that nosebleed valuations on, on stocks don't matter. They just keep going higher because there is no alternative. But this is just not true. That's an artifact of these blinders and not seeing the wider universe out there. Commodities as a whole, for instance, are the obvious alternative to equities. And commodities are not bonds. And they are based on something real, right? They are yeah. real. And if you look at those famous charts of, say, the Dow or the S&P 500 versus commodities, despite the recent increases, commodities are dirt cheap compared to stocks right now. So not only is there an alternative, it is objectively dirt cheap compared to stocks right now. I think it's really irresponsible for these guys to, and gals to get on there and, and promulgate this Tina false narrative. Right. Well, I mean, some institutional investors have a fund mandate, so it'll be maybe a little bit difficult for them to change uh it could, but, but that's not what they're saying. They're not saying I'm constrained and I can't do this. They're saying there's no alternative. What right. that really means, and that's why I said that's really FOMO in disguise. It's, mm -hmm. it's here's the bandwagon, here's where the money's being made, and we don't want to be left behind. We're going to put our money where everybody else is going. That's FOMO. You can okay. call it Tina if you want to, but it's really just lack of creativity. Okay, well, we know your views on the metals and uh, commodities. You're bullish. So uh, let's end it there, Lobo. Excellent thoughts, excellent research. And speaking of research, where can people read more of your work? Well, everything we've just been talking about is what I've written about lately, and it is available for free at independentspeculator.com. Okay, excellent. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We'll speak to you next time. And thank you for watching Kiko News. I'm David Lin. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow me on Twitter at DavidLin underscore TV.